You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. It's Ben. And Matt. And Matt. We're both here uh, to introduce uh, this episode that you have clicked on, uh, Desert Story. This is our, this is our last uh, Desert Story. Good, man. Uh, I need with, to get out of the desert. <laughs> yeah, finally, we're on our way to the promised land. All the, uh, all the people of that generation have died, and we are, no, just... <laughs> Metaphor doesn't quite work, uh, but yeah, we want um, John Stallsmith. He's got a great um, story of just uh, I, the thing I appreciate about this interview is he he talks quite a bit about a lot of times. I think in these desert stories, and rightly so, we talk about like being hurt in ministry. We talk about being um, wounded uh, by by the brokenness of other people, um, but John talks quite a bit about how he discerned that it was actually his own brokenness that was tripping him up. Uh, quite a bit, yeah. And um, we talk a bit about how to discern, you know, how how do you tell when it's, you know, when I'm the problem, and how do you like how do you tell when it's time to leave a place, and how, and how do you tell when leaving a place would actually be short circuiting God's work in your life? It's really hard to know sometimes. So, yes. Anyway. So uh, I'm excited for that, um, Matt. You doing okay? <laughs> You doing Dude, okay? I've got this diffuser in my office. <laughs> okay. And, and I've got this little bottle of cedar wood essential uh-huh. oil. Okay. And I just picked up this little dipper that goes inside of it and uh-huh. put it in the bowl. And then three seconds later, forgot I'd done that and licked my fingers. And now all oh. I can taste is cedar wood essential oil in my okay. mouth. Very, very good. Well, uh, I want to gargle with some coffee. Okay. Sounds good. Yes. I, uh, for, uh, 
That, get that taste out of there. Oh, that's I think awful. that's gonna that's gonna be with you for the rest of the day. My is oh, my hunch. It's, it's like burning your tongue, and then you can't. Then you're like, oh man, every meal I'm gonna eat for 24 hours is yeah. gonna remind me. So mm. all I'm tasting is cedar wood. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, we're recording this where I can see Matt's face. Uh, that's why I uh, paused in this introduction just to make sure he was okay. He was making some faces, guys. Sorry, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm learning professionalism as we go. Here we go. Um, yeah, and we're not going to re-record this. This is the intro, nope. guys. This is Here the we intro. Uh, we don't have time. It's coronavirus. Uh, there's there's COVID going around. Um, that's why Matt's got his essential oils out. I'm sure he's trying to cure it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it's the only thing I can control. Yes, yes. Uh, cedar wood. That's going to help me. Um, anyway, uh, friends, before we get to the interview, uh, we this have a workshop weekend. coming up this weekend. Uh, this weekend. Parenting in a pandemic. Friends, parenting in a pandemic. It's coming up May 16th. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Matt, maybe, why, why are you excited about, you're leading this workshop. Yes, I, I think that what I'm noticing seven weeks into this with my wife is that it's not creating anything new, but it's bringing everything that's kind of always there that we can manage with uh, eating mm. out or a change of scenery or a family trip or whatever. It's not that we can't manage Mm. the weaknesses of our parenting with external realities as much. Mm. Um, and so uh, what happens is all the things that are uh, weak or wrong or deficient or insufficient in our parenting, they come to the surface and mm. you know, it's a tsunami right now. <laughs> They're all coming to the surface. <laughs> it's all, all crashing. It's all crashing yes. on the shore. Yes. So one of the, so I think, this, this little workshop is meant to help give you access to what God's doing in your parenting in this time mm. and to carve out an imagination for how to participate in that and what it looks like to move towards loving your children and mm. loving your spouse and yourself mm. in the midst of a really difficult season. Yeah. So, yeah, come on, bring it. Yeah. Bring, all your, uh, bring all your C-minus parenting. Let's do it. Let's get it. Yeah, let's figure it, figure it all out. Get it all on the yep. table. Yes. Yeah, and that's that's the cool. Th- I mean, it's not cool. I mis- made the wrong meta- uh, the wrong adjective, but <laughs> like the that's cool. <laughs> but like, there's an opportunity embedded in this crisis. In that, uh, yeah. it's revealing it's revealing reality to us, and a lot of the ways that we distract or insulate ourselves from from some of these things, it, like they just don't work anymore. You no. know, and so. Uh, we have to deal with it, and that's the opportunity. Is okay. We can deal with it, and so God's always present and at work. We can handle this. We can look at it. Anyway, if you're not registered for that, uh, the, we'll put a link in the show notes. But if you go to gravityleadership.com/parenting-online, yep, um, there'll be a link to that uh, parenting workshop, which is happening this Saturday, May 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let's go. Let's go, friends. Here's John Stallsmith. Enjoy this interview. Hey, everybody. John Stallsmith. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ben and Ben. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'm here with uh, Ben Hardman and with John Stallsmith, and um, we are in our Desert Stories 
series and um, wanted to uh, interview John Stallsmith. Hardman, why don't you um, just remind our listeners if they, maybe this is the first one they've tuned into, but what's what's this series all about? What are we doing here with Desert Stories? Yeah, so we've been work, walking through this series of Desert Stories, really just narrating for uh, all the pastors and leaders out there, some of the times and stories of how ministry is difficult and uh, challenging. This is this kind of was rooted in, honestly, a couple social media posts that I made, uh, just talking about how difficult ministry is at times and naming some of my story in ministry and how challenging it was. And I was amazed at how many people then began commenting or messaging me mm. on there saying, hey, thanks for sharing your story. Like, here's what happened to me. Uh, here's what I've experienced. Here's the wounds and the hurt that mm. I've walked through. Yeah. Uh, and so there's something about just listening to each other's stories and narrating that and then talking about how do we walk through pain as pastors faithfully. Um, a lot of times what we hear when we talk about that is just some kind of cliche, you know, like, Hey, just keep going. God is good. And then somebody else says all the time, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, uh, but I think we need, (laughs) I I think we need some kind of deeper, uh, understanding and and deeper place to go when we talk about our stories. Mm. Uh, and so I, I've just asked some people that we love and trust, uh, stalls, of course, works at the Grace family with me. Uh, he's actually, I, what's, it's really cool because Stalls is like the Ben Sternkey of, uh, of the Grace family. Uh, oh, yeah? I don't yeah, even know what that means. Are, but you guys I are so feel... similar. You guys don't even know that you guys are so well, similar. We, you know, we just got on this call a little bit, uh, a little bit ago, and we kind of did a little introduction, orientation, that kind of thing. And I have to admit, I already feel like an affinity. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, John, but I already feel an affinity for him. Like he's my, he's my kind of guy. Did well, we yeah. just become best friends? I, I think we just became did. best friends, John. <laughs> I, I would say I, I did feel that instant connection also. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we talked about our clavicles. Yeah. And then, <laughs> that was actually a real part of the conversation. Yeah. And, and, and then I complimented your uh, podcast or no, uh-huh. no, your, your curated links. Oh, right. Yeah, that's you right. Know? That's so, actually the way to Sternkey's heart. Yeah. I You will give me a meaningful con. If you will give me a meaningful compliment about work that I care about, like you're my best friend forever. So, anyway. and that's why we just became best friends. Cause I'm that's in that why same kind of it's, boat. It's happening yes. here on the yes. podcast live. Yes. Uh, well, stalls, uh, I, we, I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. I, I, of course, know your story, but would love to hear a little bit of your story and a little bit of your journey into into becoming a senior pastor uh, and kind of what that looked like. Uh, so uh, if you want to just tell us a bit of your story, and then we'd love to just hear a little bit of the process that you were kind of walking through in the midst of that. Hmm. Sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, can so- I? Can I ask real quick though, like just just to do like a, a a little bit of an introduction, just for so they know who they're listening to. You, ben, you said that uh, he's worked with he works with the Grace Family of Churches. So yeah. like, what what do you do, John, right now? He's kind of like the Pope of the Grace kinda, Family oh. of Churches. I kind of like the fact that you think that he's <laughs> like me then for gravity. So, uh, so uh, our Grace Family of Churches has kind of grown organically out of one original church that was planted in 1983. It's a non-denominational Bible church focused on discipleship. And over the years, we sent out leaders and planted 
several churches. So now it's seven, six in the metro Atlanta area, one in the uh, Washington, D.C. Wow. And each is locally led, local elders, local lead pastor. But we keep this tight knit sort of family connection and collaborate as much as we can on that. And so my current role is as the lead pastor of the original church, which is in Snellville. So I pastor Grace Snellville in the same way that Ben Hardman pastors Grace Marietta. Awesome. All right. Yes. And Stalls also, tell them a little bit about your work with JAQ. I think it's a really cool thing. This is part of my story, I suppose, but one of the significant missional initiatives that we have embraced or felt called to since 2001 has been connecting with communities in Muslim countries and also Muslim communities in our own area and trying to walk with them toward a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And so before I took this current role as a lead pastor at Snellville, I was the mission pastor And one of my main responsibilities was to help train and equip everyday people to share their faith biblically and effectively with their Muslim neighbors. And so we developed some different materials for that, one of which is called Jesus and the Quran, which is a weekend intensive Friday night. It's all day Saturday where we walk through some basic paradigm shifts that can be super, super helpful for American Christians. And um, so we, we just talk about what does it look like to kind of move our mindsets from quote unquote Christian to the kingdom. Uh, what does yeah. it look like to move from fear to friendship? And then what does it look like to move from debate to dialogue? And so that's been that's a real great. I big love adventure. Shifts. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. been a big adventure for us. And we originally started just training our own people around grace because we wanted to mobilize mm-hmm. them. There's some pretty big refugee communities in Atlanta, okay. some yeah. significant Muslim communities. And so wanted to mobilize them. And, and people started coming from other places, other churches saying, wow, this is good. Would you bring your team out here? And so we've actually gotten to do it in a number of different places and, and, and seen some pretty cool stuff happen out of it. That's great. Awesome, man. Well, that uh, thank you uh, for that. I think that just helps orient um, me uh, and probably our listeners as well. So, um, so I'd love to, yeah, get back to Hardman's original question. Then, like, why, why have why have you contribute to this series? Um, uh, talk a little bit about your journey and uh, what part of it seems to resonate with this idea of the desert and the wilderness. Yeah, absolutely. So. I grew up in Wisconsin. I came south to go to college. I went to Furman University in Greenville because they wanted me to play baseball on their team. And so I played four years there, loved it, studied history and Spanish, wasn't interested in God until my senior year when the rest of my life was sort of falling apart. Um, I was doing well, but I was just unsatisfied. And so a guy my senior year that I knew, he was like the only Christian on campus that I knew at that time who was likable. <laughs> 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 and so I said, hey, uh, could, we, could we be roommates this year? And he said, sure. And so he was really instrumental in me really reviving my faith. I'd grown up in a Christian home and, and I knew some Bible, but I just hadn't been in church in like 20 years. And so he really, really helped me. And then after mm-hmm. we graduated, I was still living in Greenville. He went down to Atlanta and started working for Young Life alongside this church and living in the basement of this guy named Buddy Hoffman, who was the founding pastor of the Grace family of churches. And after about a year, Dan, my buddy called me up and he said, hey, you wanna come down and write Buddy's book? 
Oh. And my plan was to be a journalist. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent and oh, I see. end up in all sorts of crazy places around the world and all the rest. And so I was planning to go to journalism school, but oh. I was still growing in my faith. And I thought maybe living in the pastor's basement with some of my best friends and doing some writing would be a good idea. And so I moved into Buddy's basement hmm. and then he... Uh, let me live there for for six years, Buddy and Jody, his <laughs> wife. <laughs> wow, they they made a, a habit of having young leaders live in their basement. It's extremely organic, but we learned a ton just by watching them live mm. their lives, watching him pastor and carry the responsibility of leading the church, growing a church, planting churches, mm. and all the rest. And so I was I am the all time record holder of years <laughs> spent in the basement. Yeah, um, everybody else got married a lot sooner. But during that time, I went through all kinds of ups and downs. I had to work out authority issues. I had to figure out theology stuff. I My first ministry assignment, I started trying to write the book. And then uh, the guy who was leading our college and career ministry went to take another church down on the south side of Atlanta. And so Buddy asked me to lead the college and career ministry. And they introduced me at the Christmas party. There's like 120 students and young adults <laughs> there. They're all excited because I'm the new guy in town. Right, and right. And there everybody's like, yeah, this is great. And I'm thinking that I'm going to crush this ministry. I mean, oh, I know I haven't yeah. done any ministry. I have no experience, but I'm sure that I'm going I'm to sure dominate. It's, that, it's not that hard. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sure yeah. it's not that hard. <laughs> Actually, at that time, 722 was a big thing. I don't know. Maybe listeners in the Southeast might remember, but Louis Giglio led this massive college and career oh. sort of gathering and thousands would come to North Point Church on the other side of Atlanta and worship. I mean, it was just huge. Yeah. And where we are is just a little bit east of Atlanta. And so in my mind, I was going to be Louis Giglio East. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be 723. Now I'm going to start with this 120. <laughs> it's a good biblical number. And we're going to uh -huh. you know win 3,000 in the first day and then yeah. take it from there. Yeah. And so over the course of the next year and a half, I grew that ministry from 120 to seven. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people just yeah. kept on leaving because of my incompetence. And <laughs> I, went to, I went to Buddy, mm -hmm. you know, the shepherd of the flock of seven. And these are not like whittling down, you know, where else can we go? You're the only one with the word. No, this is just yeah. people leaving because I'm not good at leading. Right. And so I went to Buddy and I said, hey, man, this is terrible. And he goes, well, then stop doing it. So I did. We just shut down that ministry. So that, that was my first thing. My first two years of working at the church, utter failure, driving a ministry into the ground. Uh, then wow. I had to rebuild. Yeah, I had to rebuild quite a bit. Uh, I think I was hurt, wounded. Uh, I was bitter for Buddy putting me in a position mm. where I felt like I was set up to fail. Yeah. And um, so there was a whole desert season there of coming to the deep realization that God had put this man in this position and I had said yes to come and work for him. And that was really all I needed to know. I didn't need to question or undermine or uh, really express how much more I knew because of the way he had disappointed me. And mm -hmm. I remember I was actually on the verge of leaving the church altogether. I was starting to look back at my journalism school applications and I was, knew, I was unsettled in my soul. I knew I was unhappy. I knew I was bitter. I knew I was frustrated. So I didn't want to leave with that soul condition. I at least knew enough about God not to leave with deep bitterness. Yeah. And mm. so I was in the middle of kind of Lent season, just like we are now. And, mm. and I was doing the, the Master Cleanse Lemonade Fast. You guys oh, ever yeah. do that one? 
I've heard right. of it. I've never been crazy <laughs> enough to do it. Oh <laughs> boy, it will it will cleanse you out, yeah. soul and yeah. body. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's you know lemon juice and maple syrup, and that's all you can drink with cayenne pepper. With in cayenne it. pepper, yeah, that's the, the cayenne that's pepper the kicker. Mm, yeah, the spicy delicious. sweet lemonade. After about two weeks of that, you you can't taste anything else. But uh, but I remember I was reading through Samuel and I saw the scene where. David discovers that Saul and Jonathan have been killed on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. And Mm. David's response is to compose a lament for the loss of the man who had afflicted him all these years and pursued him through the caves. And I felt like the Lord just asked me, if Buddy were to die right now, what kind of song would you sing about him? Mm. And it was not a loving lament. It would have been some other kind of unhealthy song. Yeah. And so that was a huge turning point for me in my relationship, my respect for Buddy. We went through ups and downs. We had <clears throat> we had some serious uh, conflicts. We had friction through the years. But um, I think that initial coming to grips with respect for Buddy's leadership and the role God had for him in my life and in our church was absolutely massive. Hmm. And so we'll fast forward. I don't want to rehash all of my 16 years. I mean, that's 2004, 2005. 2004. <laughs> but fast forwarding, I, I moved into the role as a mission pastor and Buddy was extremely passionate about the Muslim world as well. And so that was something we did together quite a bit. And then in 2013, uh, we got news on a Tuesday morning, which is kind of our big staff day uh, mm-hmm. with all our meetings at Snellville. We got news that Buddy was on his way to the hospital and it was serious. And so oh, wow. we went over there. And we found out that he had arrived at the hospital with an aortic dissection, which is essentially where the inner walls of your arteries just split. And so his blood pressure is like 40 over 10. And Buddy asked the doctors, what are my odds of surviving this? And the doctor said, you have no odds. You're going to die. People don't survive to this point at the hospital. Yeah. And so I remember I was in the back room and Buddy saying goodbye to his family. The only reason the surgeon would take him back is because there was a nurse from Grace who basically said to the surgeon, you better do this surgery because this is my pastor. <laughs> and so he went in. And for like eight hours, we all just waited. And they brought him out and took him into the ICU. And we said, you know, what's the outlook? And they said, well... He was without a heartbeat for a really long time. He didn't have a lot of blood to his brain. So he's in an induced coma. We'll try to wake him up in a few days. But when we wake him up, we don't know if he'll wake up, nor do we know how much of him will wake up when we bring him back. And so they took him into the ICU and a couple of the the pastors, a couple of our good friends, some of the basement guys, I mean, it's just four or five of us, sort of just went into the ICU, followed him. Um, and knelt around his little gurney and prayed for him, Lord, just heal Buddy. And this was, I have to say, this is as close to one of the like kind of miracles of healing as I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. But as we were praying, Buddy began to move and jerk. And I seriously, I thought he was dying. That's how much faith I had. I was like, Lord, heal Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, shoot. Sure. oh, shoot. We killed him. This is yeah. not how we pray. This is no. not how we're supposed to do this. <laughs> yeah. So, so me, full of faith, convinced that these are his death thrashings. Um, but actually, he woke up. He woke up right there. And he was responsive. Wow. And that started about a six-month recovery for him. 
And at that point, I was also preaching at Snellville on Sunday nights. And so because he was in the hospital and he was recovering, it sort of fell to me to preach in the main services and the main gatherings. And so suddenly I found myself leading this pretty big congregation that is deeply loyal to this legendary founding leader who is inimitable. I mean, if you knew Buddy, or if you go back and listen to some of his sermons, I mean, there's nobody who preached like Buddy. He's authentic. He's Southern. He's intellectual. He's renegade. I mean, he's just this amazing kind of person. Mm. And so now I'm preaching in his pulpit through a crisis, and we nobody knows what the future holds. We don't know if the church is going to fall apart or what. And um, and and so that was a pretty intense, pretty intense time uh, for me and for my wife. We'd only been married a couple of years. Amy is mm-hmm. a nurse uh, at Children's Hospital here in Atlanta, so she was just finishing up nursing school. And uh, I would say that was that was one of those crisis desert sort of experiences that really stretched me. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. It strikes me that um, the last time you were put in charge of a group, you know, that was larger than an, than ever, than that you'd been put into charge of, at least, you know, what, what it was part of the story that you told today, you know, the whole thing crashed and burned um, and it caused you to be pretty bitter and upset with, with Buddy and, you know, and it, it you know, there, there wasn't a great resolution to that. It was just like, ah, I would just stop doing it. And you're like, oh, well, great. You know, so I, I don't know what was going through your head as you as you kind of took the reins there and, and began to preach, like what, what were the fears? What, you know, what, how, how was that season? How did you experience that season? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great question. And I think that during that time, at least we were so close to the crisis that it was very much touch and go. Mm. We were just, get from one thing to the next week to week. How's buddy doing recovery? I remember we would write updates on buddy's health and we tell stories. And so that was very much that just dynamic crisis mode. But in the back of my mind, I was beginning to think what's next. What does this mean for me? And what happens if, or when buddy comes back, you know, cause I've just been this temporary role. And Hmm. frankly, I just believed I was filling in, but I did, I, I had a, uh, I had, I don't know what it was exactly, dream, vision, kind of sense from God. But before all this happened, before Buddy went to the hospital, I remember one morning I was waking up in my bed. I was in between asleep and awake. And, and I just, I had this sense from God. And, and, and this is what the Lord said. He, he just said, carry wood for Buddy. 
And I thought, oh, that's weird. <laughs> uh, but I had weird, been reading. Weird dream. Yeah, yeah weird dream. Yeah. I, you know, what's that about? Yeah. It's Carrie Wood for Buddy, you know. And so, but I had been I had been reading um, in, in Genesis, and it wasn't too far from when I had read the scene where Abraham and Isaac had walked to the top of Mount Moriah and stuff. So I thought, oh, maybe it has something to do with that. I mean, I'm not Buddy's son. Buddy has a son. He loves him dearly. Like, that's, that's kind of weird. Just sort of filed it away. But then as the journey went on and Buddy began to recover and then Buddy came back and he kind of started to preach, but he also was aware that his health was tenuous. You know, the doctor said you probably have five years, but not 10 and uh, all the rest. I, we, there was, began to be this very uneasy awareness that some transition had been initiated maybe by sovereign means mm. and we had to come to grips with it and it was during that time i think when the real wrestling began because i was sort of the heir apparent but it was a result of circumstance i'd been around grace for a long time i had a deep relationship with buddy i think i had the heart of the church in some ways but at the same time i don't know if buddy was ready to make the transition or how this all yeah. was going to fit together and so I went back to that that word from the Lord, carry wood for buddy. And I started to read and reread Genesis 22. And, and it was eerie that over a course of about a year, I felt like I was living that story with buddy. And, and you know, I mean, that scene with Abraham, it, it starts back in Genesis 21 because Abraham basically like plants a tree. He's had his son. He's done his walk. Like he's good, you know. I mean, he's he's kind of done. But it dawned on me as I'm reading Genesis 22, Isaac wasn't there for the long years of walking. Isaac wasn't there to see the testimony of faith of Abraham and Sarah trying to hold on to these promises that God would periodically make. I mean, the distance between Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, there's years in there, you know, when they're just walking without it's just pages for us in the Bible. For them, it's yeah. years just walking, yeah. trusting God. And and so I began to have a deep appreciation for Buddy planting the church from nothing and Buddy and Jody just faithfully growing it over the years and all the rest. So, so I just, I think what Genesis 22 is doing is giving Isaac an opportunity to see the faith of Abraham. And even though Abraham's not particularly communicative during the process, I mean, Isaac probably could have really benefited from a little bit more explanation and you know all abraham's <laughs> like hey the lord will provide the wood <laughs> or yeah, the yeah. fire or whatever yeah yeah you know um it gave isaac an opportunity to watch i see his father demonstrate the faith that had sustained him all along and i mm -hmm. think that transition was so important for isaac being the second patriarch and then on to jacob and so forth so yeah. so i felt like for me that was sort of a an opportunity too, as difficult as that season was, and Buddy and I were both in the same space, and he was coming back. And we didn't know what was going to happen. It was, it was. I just, I remember during that time, I, I was making dinner, and uh, I think Amy had just gotten back from the hospital or something from from her work, and 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 I was cooking a pork tenderloin on the grill, and she doesn't like any any pink. Obviously, it's pork. You know, yeah, yeah, but I don't like it dry. So there's this very narrow window there. To make sure I get the tenderloin right. <laughs> and so I bring it in and I cut it open, thinking that I've nailed it. Yeah. And when I cut it open in in there, it's there's pink. Yeah. And and I know I've undercooked it, but now I've cut it open. The juices are out. You guys know. You grill. You understand. Yeah. Um. 
And I remember when I saw the pink, I just go, damn it! (laughs) (laughs) And Amy comes sprinting into the kitchen. She's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I was like, the pork is pink. (laughs) She's like, so what? I was like, it's pink. I undercooked the pork. And she's like, what's going on with you? I was like, I don't know. I think I'm under stress. I think I'm anxious. I think I don't know what our future holds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's what's going on. I'm taking it out on this poor tenderloin. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm taking it on this poor, poor tenderloin. So anyway, so, so that was like a little window into what was yeah. happening for me. Yeah. And, and it was so much uncertainty. And so that, that, that story of Abraham and Isaac, it became the like leap motif of my life mm. at that point because I, I was just reading it and rereading it and and, and it felt you know uh, Isaac is is carrying wood he's got a, an extra burden walking up um, they're both walking uphill so it's strenuous neither one of them knows what they'll find at the end of this journey you know all they have is their trust in each other and their trust Stolz, in did, God. You, did you ever jump to the application of maybe buddy's taking me up this hill to kill me <laughs> Bro, so that's yes. As the situation developed, that's what it began to move toward. I mean, yeah. At a certain point, I literally felt so bound. I just felt totally stuck. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know if I'd go back to my mission pastor role or if I was going to get booted from the church. Or I like, I was literally bound, hmm. and I was like thinking, "Man, buddy has got the knife. I don't know what he's going to do with it." And I, I prayed. I, I remember I prayed specifically. God, you got to provide a ram or else we're going to kill each other in this transition. Like, provide a ram. Provide a ram. And so it was uh, actually in December 2013, January 2014, we got word of a church about eight or 10 miles away that had gotten upside down on its debt, could no longer continue meeting in their building. And they approached us and asked if we'd be willing to kind of help them with that and replant a grace church there. Hmm. And that, that became uh, buddy's destination. That was the outlet for, for our journey. And so we went Christmas Eve service that year was the last time that church met as that church. And then they shut down for a month and then buddy went out and planted what is today grace new hope in our grace family churches. Hmm. And, and so literally a church was caught by its horns in debt and died hmm. and now we had a way forward yeah and so I, I became the lead pastor at snellville and buddy went out there we sent about um 800 people 900 people from our church out there to go with buddy and so that was great although it did mean that we had some significant budget adjustments congregation size adjustments to work through the senior yeah. i mean so it was like that 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 desert season gave way to a new kind of desert season mm-hmm. as now i was trying to lead in this role with all the change swirling around us yeah 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 it strikes me in your story john which i think is true for all of us in ministry is it does feel like the people that we love most in ministry are the ones who oftentimes hurt us the most uh, and we often have this interesting relationship where uh, we don't know what to do with disappointment when we're disappointed with others or when we're disappointed with how things turned out. And there's almost this, like, we're just supposed to be holy and take it and just walk through it. But we're really angry when the pork tenderloin isn't cooked. Mm. Uh, and, and so as, as you were narrating all of those seasons, um, 
and and even now as uh, as the story has progressed, um, how do we like? What's your advice to other pastors in reconciling this idea of like disappointment in ministry and love in ministry? Like, there's people that we love that disappoint us. There's people that come to the church and become our best friends, and then they leave and they ghost us, and we never hear from them again. Like, there's there's this like ministry is is kind of laying your heart out there sometimes uh, to let it be killed at the altar. Uh, and, mm. uh, I, I think for me, I wrestle so much often of like, I don't want to put my heart out there again, or I don't want to trust again, or I don't, I don't want to place this there again. So what would your advice be, uh, to other pastors or leaders of how do we, how do we enter into those relationships with all of our heart, with, with, with love and compassion? Um, but at the same time, kind of have this a little protection going on. Uh, I don't know if I've given you a question or if I'm just musing about my own personal experiences. <laughs> ben, what's your Kairos right now? Let's walk through that. We can, we can work it. Uh, that's good. <laughs> oh, I, that's a, that's a real experience. Like what you just described. I think the longer I've been in it. So, so now I'm, I guess in my, uh, seventh year pastoring at Snellville, six or seventh and, and 15, 16 years at Grace. Like the longer I've been in it, the more I found that pattern to be true, unfortunately, or painfully, maybe not unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was one of the main reasons that I didn't want to lead Snellville. And part of that transition story that I didn't get into was the fact that I had watched Buddy pastor the church for six years and I had seen from inside his own home, the wounds and the scars, the disappointments and the frustrations that come with leading a congregation. And I'd seen the weight of leading the thing on his mm -hmm. shoulders. Like, yeah, that's something once you are responsible for the whole organization, once you're the sort of lead guy, you got elders and you got people who carry it with you, but nobody on your staff team knows that weight. Mm -hmm. And so I saw all that and I didn't want to carry it. Mm. <laughs> because of the very reasons that you mentioned. Mm. But it became so undeniable to me that this is where God was leading. It, it wasn't even something I wanted to do. Yeah. I, I had no aspirations. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a lead pastor. I love being a mission pastor. I love traipsing around the world, hanging out in the 1040 window, drinking tea in the desert. <laughs> I mean, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I didn't want to do this and preach every single week and, and just do all the pastoral stuff. It was very intimidating to me and, 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 and kind of overwhelming. But here's the thing about that Abraham and Isaac story. And I'm, I'm sure all the preachers out there, all Bible people already know it. But, you know, Isaac emerges as a real type of Jesus in that story. Mm -hmm. You know, he goes up, he's carrying his wood like Jesus carries the cross. There's all right. sorts of illustrations there. He's the sacrifice, so to speak. And so the, the real takeaway for me was just that as a leader, um, God's calling me to, to live like Jesus and to mm. look like Jesus. And the way I walk through this whole process of disappointment, frustration, difficulty, but at the same time, deep gratitude and observing Buddy's faith and appreciating all that Buddy had done for me, like my calling just became crystal clear as much as possible, Lord, help me live like you. Mm. Like when people look at this story from the outside, would my role in this be somehow 
a type or an illustration or a display of the character of Jesus. And so the more that I've led and the more I've come to grips with that, the more that I am convinced, actually, of that kind of disappointment and hurt and frustration and vulnerability is characteristic of the life of Jesus. Mm. You know, one of you at the table is going to betray me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the rest of you are going to run away when I'm crucified. So Jesus knew this sort of thing. And yet mm. through the crucifixion, he lays hold of resurrection life. And so that's been that's been my hope and my trust. And I've got some wounds that the Lord has yeah. seen through to resurrection. I have some others that are still open, still fresh. And, and I just don't expect it will ever go away. I, I yeah. think that's just going to be characteristic of our leadership if we're going to follow, really, really follow Jesus. Yeah. yeah. That's a good word, John. I um, appreciate that. Can I ask you one more question? This, this, uh, uh, we, you know, we've done a lot of, um, we've done a lot of stuff on to just talking about toxic leadership, you know, and that, that kind of thing. And I, I, you know, in your story, I hear you being disappointed with a leader who was not perfect, right? Um, which none of us are, none of us are per- a perfect mm-hmm. leader. How do you discern? I don't know if you have any, uh, just advice or, or thoughts on this, but how do you discern between a truly like malignant, toxic environment that where it's like, you know what, the best thing is get out of there. You know, because in our, in our hearts, we can have the same kind of response to that, right? So if we're in a, a, a very bad toxic environment, toxic leadership environment, we can feel bitter towards those people who are hurting us, that kind of thing. However, in your story, like I don't hear you sharing like, yeah, I, it was a super toxic environment and I just had to suck it up and wait for my turn. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what you're sharing. So how, how do you help people? Or I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Like, how do, how do we discern between like a leadership environment that might be frustrating for us, but that we're called to and that God is in, God's working in, and a leadership environment that's truly toxic where like, hey, the best thing might be to just get out of there. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Thanks for asking it. I don't claim to be an expert. I have my story sure. and my re- reflection. And so I, I don't want, I, I guess, I, I, you know, that there's that pastoral concern and care for people. Yeah. Where you don't want your reflection on your own story to unhealthily lead others to yeah. stay in toxic situations. But sure. at the same time, I think that in my observation of leaders and in my own experience, my threshold for frustration was incredibly low. (laughs) My, my sense of being able to respect authority, even when I disagreed with it Mm -hmm. was almost nil. Yeah. I wanted to be right. I wanted to be the boss. And so it was very easy for me to quickly label that as toxic yeah. when actually God was trying to work out maybe the most important leadership lesson of my entire ministry. Yeah. So again, I say that with hesitation because I know there are some real toxic situations out there, but, sure. but for me, it, I was, I was the toxic one because mm-hmm. I wanted to run my own life and I wanted yeah. to be successful and I wanted to be the boss and I thought I knew the right thing and I didn't have respect. And so there was this old guy Jim Brown, he was in his 70s, he's in his 80s now. But but Jim really walked with me through some of that. He was a very wise mentor and he just helped me think about how God puts leaders in place. 
And so I would say that's one thing. Get some help from seasoned mentors to evaluate whether this is toxic Mm -hmm. or this is just God working out something in you. Yeah. And then the other thing is that when I looked at grace, there was such undeniable fruit all around, Mm -hmm. like real fruit of the spirit. People are getting discipled. People are getting baptized. Not, not just like flashy numbers stuff like, Oh, we had this many people, blah, blah, blah. But it was like real transformation happening. Yeah. And so that was the other indicator is the wisdom of a seasoned mentor and the observation of real transformative fruit mm-hmm. in that place that helped me recognize, okay, this is messy because where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. This is messy and buddy's mm-hmm. human and he's a leader that makes mistakes for sure. Mm-hmm. But there's so much fruitfulness around this. Like God's still here. God's yeah. in this. Yeah. And he's not released me from it yet. Yeah. So I can hang in there with it. And and also I'm struck by Buddy's ongoing commitment to you. Like the, I, I, I mean, you just don't hear stories of pastors who come back from something like that and say, yeah, I'm just not going to step into the role that I had before. I'm going to go ahead and give this to this young guy who killed my college ministry. I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him run the church now. Like, like I just don't like, there's not a lot of leaders. I mean, six years of living in his basement, um, six years of investment from him. And, and that's why, I mean, for those of us around the grace family, that's one of the reasons why buddy's a hero to so many Mm. is his ongoing commitment to make disciples and how he not only talked about that. A lot of pastors know how to talk about making disciples. He lived it. Uh, and he actually laid down his role so that other people could um, step up, right? You, my disciples will become greater than me. He actually lived that out and wanted that to happen. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm struck by the the commitment that you had to Buddy, but also the commitment that Buddy had to you in, in this entire process is really beautiful. Yeah, we, we had a really, really uh, deep friendship. So, so Buddy died three years ago. Um, February 12th, actually, on my anniversary. Hmm. And uh, I miss him. I miss his wisdom. I don't always miss some of the the messy things. (laughs) (laughs) But I miss him as a friend, a Mm -hmm. real deep friend and a wise source. There's still time. He's still actually in my speed dial, you know, in my friends (laughs) list. I still have his number. (laughs) Mm. Because, uh, and there are times when stuff comes up, when I just think, man, I'd love to give Buddy a call and get his two cents. Yeah. Yeah. John, thanks for sharing your story, man. That's, uh, I think it, I think it's really helpful Uh, given, uh, me and, uh, hopefully our listeners as well. Just uh, a lot of, a lot to think about. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really good. I appreciate you spending the time. It's a privilege. Uh, Yeah. John, how can, uh, how can people connect with you? Uh, how can people connect with JQ and some of those kinds of things? If our listeners want to, yeah. want to connect with you. Yeah. Great. I'm not talking about your cell phone. Like don't give your cell phone number, but <laughs> unless, unless you want <laughs> phone calls, unless you're lonely. Oh man. <laughs> no, I'm not, not lonely. Um, <laughs> we have, so right now we have like, uh, our daughter's four and our second daughter's two. And then our, our baby is just about to be five months. So this stay at home order 
is a crockpot of children energy. I am not lonely. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing fine. I've got plenty of people in my life. We are hanging in there. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I don't know kind of the extent of the podcast or something. I, email is a really helpful tool for me. I, mm-hmm. I process by email a lot. And so okay. you guys may have heard Ben calling me Stalls because my last name is Stallsmith. So everybody just calls me Stalls um, just because of my name, not for a propensity to delay decisions. But uh, <laughs> I hope. I hope. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, my, my email is, is just Stalls, S-T-A-L-L-S at gfc.tv, um, which is our Grace Family sort of website okay. thing. The gfc.tv is more about the Grace Family. I'm pastoring the Snellville, Snellville Church, Grace Snellville. And if anybody wants to send me a note, stalls at gfc.tv, I'm usually pretty good in the 24 to 48 hours, at least replying. Uh, and, and, and the JQ stuff, you go on the road and do a lot of that, Jesus in the Quran. Uh, yeah. stuff and training yeah. for your church in how in how to engage yeah. the Muslim world. And so if that intrigues you, uh, there's a website, jaq.org. Yeah. Yeah. J-A-Q. Yeah. And, and stalls is the best in the world at it. Like it's, mm. it's, a, it's really incredible material and everybody in the grace family raves about it. So uh, love you, buddy. Thanks for sharing your story, man. Appreciate you and your friendship and uh, the way that you carry yourself. Yeah. I'm glad that you and Ben became best friends yeah, today. Great. We'll I, have I to, just you know, Ben's friend. got your email address now, so we'll we'll make look, sure that we look for an email. keep connecting with you. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks everybody. You guys. Thank Thanks you, for listening. Peace, y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.